0: If you would turn with me in your Bibles, please, the Old Testament reading, 1st Samuel and chapter 17. Now, we read the entire chapter this morning. We're not going to to do that this evening. We're going to pick up the reading um, further on in the chapter. So if you can turn uh, then in your Bibles to 1st Samuel, chapter 17, the story um, of David and Goliath. And we're going to pick up the reading In verse 41, verse 41. And Goliath the Philistine came on and drew near to David with its shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and comely in appearance, The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the beasts, wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out from its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead they fled and the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shea Ararim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the Philistines came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine, brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armour in his tent. Amen. Now if you turn with me over into the very end of the New Testament, to Revelation and to chapter 19. To Revelation and to chapter 19. I said this morning that we're going to um, uh, look at, yes, 1 Samuel 17, but we're going to see how it fits in from Genesis chapter 3 right the way through uh, to Revelation 19. So the book of Revelation chapter 19, um, the book of Revelation is um, divided into seven sections. Um, Each section starts with the uh, first coming of christ and takes us right the way through to the second coming of christ so there are seven different pictures of church history from different perspectives um, also we see that the book of revelation is um, is climactic um, it progresses until finally the lord returns and destroys sin and death and hell satan will be defeated uh, finally and visibly And totally. uh, And and all those who follow him will be destroyed. And um, you will see um, uh, um, pictures of of this in David. That's why we're going to read these uh, verses together. Um, So we're going to take you um, from um, Genesis 3 this morning right the way through to Revelation uh, 19. Um, There are many stops along the way as you read the story of David, Um, but it's a bit like a train journey where we're going to go through the stations and not stop. Okay, we're going to just see those things through the window as we travel as we travel through. So Revelation chapter 19, you'll see many echoes here um, of our Lord's teaching and parables. Let's read um, Revelation 19. We're going to pick up the reading at verse 11. Revelation 19 from verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat upon it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name inscribed which no one knows. But himself he is clad in a robe dipped in blood and the name of by which he is called is the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure followed him on white horses from his mouth issues a sharp sword with which to smite the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly in mid heaven Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who sits upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had worked the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulphur, and the rest of the slain by the sword of him who sits upon the horse, the sword that dishes from his mouth, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. If you could have your Bibles open then, let's first Samuel chapter 17 and then later on we'll be looking into uh, other passages, uh, notably Revelation 19. This morning we looked, um, spent our time um, looking and listening, uh, looking at the men involved in this chapter and also listening to their words and it's those uh, words that I want us to to take up now uh, and think about it a little bit more in this chapter we have two kings and a champion. Um, we have two kings and actually two champions, champion of the philistine host, and David who is the champion of the Lord. two kings, Saul, who is the failed king, and David. Who is the true and real king at this point. And David the true king will fight a spiritual battle. Um, First Samuel and uh, chapter 17 and verse 44 and onwards. Uh, The Philistine says to David am I a dog that you come to me with sticks. Of course David's running at him he's carrying the staff isn't he. Am I a dog that you come to me uh, with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Then he says to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Those are the words of Goliath. Those are the threats that Goliath speaks. But David's reply is bigger it's greater, it's grander, and has far far greater reach in its, um, in its implication. Greater words and a wider threat. Let's look what David says by reply in verses 45 uh, and following. Verses 45, notice the expansion of what David is saying. See the dimensions that David is adding here. Then David said to the Philistine, "'You come to me with a sword,' And with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord, um, sorry, uh, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day To the birds of the air and to the wild beasts, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into my hand. I will cut you down. I'm going to cut your head off. Then. I will give the whole host of this Philistine army, all their dead bodies, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. The Philistine threatens to kill David and give him to the wild beasts. David said, I'm going to kill you and give the whole lot of you to the wild beasts. It's much bigger. It's far greater, isn't it? Why is this going to be? So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So that this assembly, these guys behind me will know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear because the battle is the Lord's. So he will give you and all of you into my hand. And everyone will know. The whole earth may know. And we can be quite sure, can't we? That over these past 40 days as the Philistines have gathered and as Goliath has gone forward every day to mock Lord and his army that all the surrounding nations know what's going on they all know that, that that there's been a month whereby Israel has been powerless to do anything and that the Lord God and the nation of Israel has been mocked and so David now will destroy the enemy how will he do it verses 49 through to 51 49 through to 51 he will do it with a stone Um, the the slings that these folks still use today um, can can hurl a stone uh, anything up to 150 miles an hour and it sinks into the forehead of uh, this this Philistine's head it sinks like a a stone into a pond the head of the enemy is crushed you see there's this great nation this, this vast array of enmity against Israel. And it's headed up by one individual. And now that individual has been crushed in the head. Does that sound familiar? Now this has been a recurring theme. I'm going to have to... You, you'll be ahead of me at certain times and you, you'll, you'll keep up with me as I'm working through. The, the, the crushing of the head of the enemy is a recurring theme in Judges and now again in 1 Samuel. The picture of Israel as a nation is that they fall into sin and then God brings an enemy in upon them and they are in dire straits because of the enemy. Their situation is hopeless. Then the Lord sends a saviour whom he raises up And through that saviour, the enemy is crushed in the head. Let's go back to Genesis 3 to see where that starts. Genesis chapter 3. How do we read Genesis 3? Man falls in the garden. The enemy has come in and deceived him. But as the world falls into sin... There the Lord God announces a rescue plan. Genesis 3 verse 15. He says that the... And he's speaking to the serpent. The Lord God says, well, I'm going to raise up an an enemy now. There's going to be enmity between you and your seed and between my seed. Your seed, yes, will bruise the heel of my seed. But my seed will what? Crush your head. And that's where it comes from. This is what's going on here. When David crushes the head of the Philistine, there's, there's an echo to us, isn't there, from Genesis chapter 3. Let's take the, 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 the development of that a little bit further. It's a little bit of a Bible study tonight. You'll, you'll follow it through, I'm, I'm sure. The seed of Genesis chapter 3 will be a specific person. But it's not clear who that person will be at first, is it? But we see it as history moves through that the seed is going to come from a particular line. But that particular line we find that it's fraught with difficulties. Even impossibilities. The chosen line, the line of the seed from Genesis 3 takes us to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And what do we know about their difficulties? Well the difficulty is that the uh, their, their wives are childless They're barren. they 're the, barren and every time we, we meet one of these great characters, we find that it 's going to be very difficult indeed for the seeds to come for the seed to appear in very recent history in um, as we read it around the first Samuel period, when you look into uh, the book of Ruth and ruth is david 's great grandmother. Um, What do we find with Ruth? Well she's been married to her first husband for 10 years. She's childless. She marries Boaz. And what happens to that union? Well it needs the Lord to intervene. Chapter 4 and verse 13 of Ruth. We read that the Lord gives her conception. So you see the seed is promised. The seed will crush the enemy in the head. But the coming of the seed is going to be very difficult. It's not going to be straightforward. And it's those sort of circumstances that we need to consider. The, um, the sin of the people is, as a nation now. Let's think about them in David's day. The sin of the people uh, produce the dominance of the enemy. Because of their sinfulness the Lord brings in the enemy. And it's through that period of the judges that the Lord gives them into the hands of the enemy. And often the enemy is headed up by a particular individual and over and over again the Lord raises up uh, um, a judge uh, or someone to to oppose the enemy and we find that the enemy is crushed out of existence. So imagine just for a while um, you're in the, the nation of Israel at that time. You're in the nation of Israel at the time of Sisera. Judges chapter 4. And Sisera and his army have invaded the land. They've taken over the place. You can't move for them. They're exacting taxes and it's all so dreadful. And the enemy is headed up by Sisera. But then the Lord intervenes. And how is Sisera removed? A woman crushes his head. The, the, the Sunday school kids they, they love it. Oh, the tent peg. Banger banging a tent peg through his head. But his head is crushed. You see, Genesis 3. There's the promise. And the people are delivered. That's Genesis. That's Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 6 and 7. Here's Gideon hiding away because of the Midianites. But Gideon is raised up and Oreb and Zeb the two kings that are there in opposition what happens to them well at the end of the battle their heads are brought and put to the feet of Gideon chapter 9 judges chapter 9 we have a similar situation Abimelech is now the enemy but it's the enemy is now within the nation things are getting worse aren't they Formerly it was the enemy came in from outside. Now the enemy has come from within. And you know the story of Abimelech. Uh, He comes to take the tower. And he gets too close to the wall. And a woman. Okay the seed of the woman. A woman drops a millstone on his head. His head is crushed. And once again. um, you, You belong to that believing community in Israel. And you're saying. Genesis 3 can actually happen. The the promise made in Genesis 3 can can work out. We can see it now. This isn't it. This isn't the actual fulfilment of the promise. But we can see in this picture that the promises can be made to come true. And then Samson. Judges chapter 13. It's good this isn't it? Judges chapter 13. Samson is raised up to... to, um, Begin to sort out the Philistines. Samson, confusing man, that that, that we whole series of studies on him, if you wish. But Samson, um, how does it finish off that story? Chapter sixteen of Judges, he crushes the lords of the Philistines by pulling down the temple on top of them. He literally brings it down on their heads. It's thrilling, isn't it? Of well, these gruesome stories, but they're thrilling. Oh, they thrill us again and again. We see in in symbolism that Genesis three is being worked out. And time and again, within that godly nation, people are reminded that with God, nothing is impossible. Time and again, in the nation, they are reminded that God has not forgotten His promises. Which means they must not forget his promises either. And that even in the darkest of circumstances there is hope. They are being made to look to the promises. And remember those promises which the Lord God himself remembers. They must look to him and believe and hope. Now um, we live after the cross. We live after the seed has come into the world, and we see the same. We see the same pattern, don't we? How is how is this seed to come? Well, it, the seed will come with great difficulty. Throughout history, the women who, uh, many of the women who belong to the to that, that line, the seed coming, are barren. Well, here's the ultimate difficulty. Here's the, the ultimate impossibility of the seed coming. Here is a woman who has no husband at all. Virgin conception and birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. The woman who will bear the Saviour says to the angel, how can this be? I have no husband. And the Lord comes and lives that sinless life and then he dies upon the cross. And as he dies upon the cross, there is the crushing of his heel. But as he dies upon the cross, he is also crushing the head of Satan. There Satan at the cross is dealt a death blow. And so we look at Genesis 3 and we we don't say, will the promises ever be fulfilled? We say they have been fulfilled. We are in a far better position than the people in the days of the judges and of Samuel. The promise of Genesis 3 has been fulfilled, not in type, not in shadow, but in reality, in totality. These are better days. These are better days. However, the story isn't over. There's much more to come yet, isn't there? Back to um, uh, chapter 17 and David. And um, we need to move Um, From Genesis 3 on into Genesis 49 and we see there the predictions that are given regarding one of the tribes is that from the tribe of Judah there will be a king emerge. And it's through the the seed of the woman who will be the king that the enemy will be crushed in the head. And David then is part of that fulfilment. I said it was a Bible study didn't I? Okay Genesis 3, Genesis 49. 1st Samuel 17. David is part of that fulfillment. And here the, the king speaks. Verse 46 and following. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will cut you down. Strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day. To the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The battle, the victory is the Lord's. There will be this defeat of the principal enemy by him being destroyed in the head. And David will give the dead bodies of the whole Philistine host to the birds of the air, the vultures and to the wild beasts, the lions and to the bears and to the dogs. And David will lead his host against the Philistine host. And they will be utterly routed. And it happens. (coughs) Verse 37. The Lord who delivered David from the paw of the lion and the bear. Does deliver from the hand of the Philistines. And the man who is most noted for his height and his stature. Goliath. Now lies face down on the ground before the Lord's anointed. He's been crushed in the head. He's been brought under the feet of the great king. We looked at that a little bit this morning in Psalm 2, didn't we? The Lord breaks with a rod of iron um, uh, 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 all the nations. But now let's move on. Uh, to Revelation 19. A bit of a jump. But let's move on into Revelation 19. Revelation as I say. Um, takes us seven times. Through the history of the church. Seven times. We, we see from the first coming. To the second coming of Christ. Seven different pictures. Um, uh, but ultimately. Finally the Lord returns. And destroys sin. Death and hell. So chapter 19 verse 11. Heaven is opened. Verse 11. We see a white horse. And the rider is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is faithful and true. But he's coming now for judgment. And for, a, for a, it will be a great shock to the whole world. Because in judgment he now makes war. Verse 12. He has a crown upon his head. And... Um, he has a name uh, that is above every other name and it is a name that is unknown, it's beyond comprehension verse 13 he is the logos, he is the word John chapter 1 and so on verse 15 we read there that he will smite um, and ruin the nations with that rod of iron Psalm 2 once again verse 16 we see that our saviour Is the king of kings and lord of lords. Back to verse 14. He leads a heavenly host. He is the Yahweh of armies. And verse 15. Now is the time for the final judgment of the world. All the lesser judgments that we see in the world throughout its its history. Are all a preparation for this great final judgment. The final judgment of the world. Verse 17 and following. Um, we see the fulfilling of the, the Davidic symbolism. Can you see the parallels between David and with, with the great David, the Lord Jesus Christ. The hostile armies are lined up for battle. They oppose the, the king of, of kings. But they are utterly destroyed. And the king calls then for the vultures, for the birds of the air. Only now it's not the Philistine army, but it's the whole world. All are defeated. All are defeated. Verse 20, the beast is captured. The false prophet uh, is doomed. And verse 21, the birds do gorge on the flesh of those who are fallen, those who are destroyed. And it's a gruesome, it's an ugly picture, isn't it? But the, the, it's the, the symbolism both in David and in in in. in Revelation 19, it, it follows and holds together, doesn't it? David will do that to the host of the Philistines, but the greater David will come, and this was what will happen the judgment brought upon the whole world. So we begin to close. David and Goliath is not about a little boy who has big faith, and if only we have big faith, we can do big things too. That's true. But it's not, it's not the essence of this story, is it? This passage is loaded full to the brim with great and vital truths. Not least the great symbolism that David enacts out on that day. David is the true king. He is the promised seed. But it's only in a picture form. You see, um, I'm thinking of the parables of our saviour now. He's defeated the strong man. And, re- and he has released all those that were held captive by him. All, all those who were in fear of death. Say, um, Goliath is like Satan, isn't he? Uh, he? He terrifies all the host of Israel. They're in fear of him. They're enthralled to him. They, they are, they're under a death sentence because of him. And in the picture... We have in the, in the parables, the Lord says, there's the strong man. But a stronger comes and releases all his goods. He releases all those men and women, boys and girls that are held by him. In a single action, victory is secured for his people. Am I talking about David now or the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I'm talking about both, aren't I? But in the symbolism in 1st Samuel 17, in the picture, the king doesn't suffer. But it's a true victory nonetheless. We see the true king, in order to release, release us, must suffer. In the picture of, in David's story, chapter 17, did you notice verse 52. The, um, the Philistines get into their, into their city, they lock the gates, and that's the end of it. They can't pursue them any further. So the symbolism falls short, doesn't it? But we know that with our king, the gates of hell will not prevail. They will not stand against the onslaught of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so finally, dear friends, the, the battle is a spiritual one. What David enacts out here in 1 Samuel 17 foreshadows the greater and more glorious victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and also the terrible end of all who oppose and who defy him. Just think for a moment on that day stood on that mountain side, one side um, the Philistines, the other side uh, the the, the Army of Israel, and in the valley, this act being carried out. Think of those ranks on that on that hillside before David appears. Smug. Forty days it's been great stuff, this, hasn't it? We've, we've been able to knock knock, knock some of these Israel, Israelis about. We've, 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 we've been able to, to do that, but also we, we've been able to roar with laughter as our man's gone out and mocked the armies of the living God. It, it's been wonderful we've had, a, we've had a great month and more as we've seen um, the armies of Israel put to open scorn but then David appears and there is an abrupt end to the laughter and there is sudden fear and sudden dread because the king has appeared their end was sudden their end was dreadful and it was complete and without mercy Now today of course the battle is still spiritual. The true David, the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated the the true Goliath, Satan. And he carries on the battle with us. That's the picture in Revelation 19, isn't it? The, The armies go out with the king. And we carry on the battle. The battle is a spiritual battle. We battle by prayer and the gospel. And we see the enemy defeated... And we see men and women slain. They're killed. They're killed by the gospel. They die to self. They die to self and rise again to newness of life. They were Satan's goods. They were held in peace by Satan. But now the strong man has come and defeated him, and they are released. And so the gospel proclaims liberty to the captives and we rejoice that not a word, not a single word of all God has promised will ever fall unfulfilled to the ground. But as I said this morning, we are now in the time of of grace and of the gospel, but the day will dawn and very soon when it will be the day of judgment and the wrath of God. And so we need to be clear you hear this uh, this evening, be sure that you're, you're in the gospel end of things <coughs> at the gospel end of things, that, that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, the true king. He offers freedom to you if you don't belong to him already. He will give you life and liberty, uh, and he will give you all good things in the gospel. But be, be assured of this. That the end is coming. That the wrath of God will appear. The day is going to dawn when suddenly and without warning our Saviour will appear. And then it will be clear to everyone that Satan is defeated. And he will sweep all those who do not believe in him away and into judgment. The gospel proclaims liberty to the captives. And as I said before, we rejoice that not a word of all his promises will fall to the ground unfulfilled. The promises are both the promises of the gospel and of judgment. We have a wonderful saviour in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would invite you to look to him and to come to him right now if you don't belong to him already. Because behold, a greater than David is here. Amen.